This podcast is sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. The OAG Punctuality League 2016 reveals on-time performance for the world's airlines and airports. The industry's most comprehensive annual ranking returns with the best performers. Airline categories include mainline airlines, low-cost carriers, and top performers from North America, Latin America, EMEA, and Asia-Pacific. Visit oag.com slash punctualityleague2016. The cold, dark fourth quarter was downright warm and snugly for U.S. carriers. So much for the rough-and-tumble airline business. If the U.S. airline market were a roadway, it would be called Easy Street. In the fourth quarter, no U.S. carrier has posted anything less than a double-digit operating profit margin. American Airlines notched a profit real close to those of Delta and United, but in the end, American finished third among the big three horse race. But that's just the horse race. The real story is everybody is still doing really well. In fact, the smaller U.S. carrier are doing considerably better than the big three. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the convivial Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about Americans' solid fourth quarter. Also, Southwest continues to flex its network muscle. JetBlue saw a bit of a revenue surge, and business for Hawaiian Airlines continues to be, well, paradise. All that and more coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Before we get on to the earnings from Southwest, JetBlue, and the others, I think we need to address what we saw over the weekend. As just about everybody on the planet knows, protests flared up at a number of U.S. airports in response to the new administration's abrupt refugee ban. It resulted in a number of travelers being denied entry to the U.S., and that, well, it alarmed a lot of people in America. I imagine U.S. airlines are cringing. Seth, what is your takeaway from this? Yeah, and to be clear, not just refugees, right? All kinds of people with with valid visas uh, from from uh, that set of countries. I mean, it, look, the financial markets since the election have generally moved up, and at, at some point, this level of uncertainty where you just don't know what's going to happen next, I think, is is going to be something that that uh, you know people and businesses everywhere are not going to appreciate. And for the airline industry, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, you had airlines from all over the planet. I mean, this isn't just an issue for U.S. airlines. It, it, it's it's in some ways an issue even more for for uh, for other airlines. Those with a lot of U.S. exposure. I mean, look, Jason, I, I flew the, up to Washington from Fort Lauderdale Sunday. And they're at Fort Lauderdale, which has become this very cosmopolitan airport. Uh, you know, over there was the Emirates Triple Seven. You know, not to mention the Azul A330 and the Norwegian Dreamliners. But you know, couldn't help but think, you know, how many people had flown in uh, from Dubai? Uh, when you think of everybody who connects there, who who were who were impacted by this. And in fact, as I was leaving Fort Lauderdale, there was a a, a big protests going on at the at the international terminal um and and so uh yeah it, it broad impact on airlines everywhere uh, no surprise monday morning that even as markets in general financial markets uh were down the i checked the uh airline etf exchange traded fund you know that, that tracks the uh, mostly u.s airlines 
was down significantly more even uh, than the markets overall. You know, you had the S&P down you know, 1% and so forth, and that was down between 2 and 3%. Uh, so yeah, you know, pe- people are, are, are worried. Um, and airlines had to scramble to figure out what to do with these people uh, who had, uh, you know, to everybody's knowledge, legally boarded planes bound for the destination. You know, nowadays there are all these systems in place generally to take care of these situations before people uh, depart their their uh, their point of origin. You know, the airlines check visas and all of that. And you know, generally, if somebody's getting on the airplane, it's because uh, the airline's pretty sure they're not going to have a problem getting into the country when they get there. Uh, and 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 that was not the case, to say the least, uh, for a number of travelers this past weekend. Do you foresee a chilling effect on travel? Well, it's not going to help. Well, the reality that depending on on uh, how this all shakes out, and you know, this is a battle now in the U.S. courts that there are. There, you know, presumably going to be some number of, of people who are who are going to be unable to travel to the U.S. There could be other people in the U.S. who are going to be afraid to leave, you know, and, and perhaps not be able to come back into the country, you know, and just other people around the world who, who just aren't going to perceive the uh, the U.S. as as the same kind of welcoming destination that maybe they did uh, in the past. I mean, you know, for. You know, for a number of years now, it, it, it could it could be a hassle to get into the uh, into the U.S. But I think you know people were you know, to some degree accepting of, of of some of the restrictions after nine eleven. You know, understanding that well, you know, you know, security concerns to some degree had to prevail. Uh, you know, this is this is this is different in the minds of uh, of a lot of people. And um, you know, and then you just have the impact on, on global trade flows of this in the context of all of the other protectionism. There is no question that this is unhelpful. Um the big question is 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 to what degree it'll it'll all matter. I think it's just going to take time to to see and some of the impacts might be significant, but not manifest themselves for a long time. Uh, you know, if this just sort of starts to slow down global trade, you know, some of that is just going to be, you know, the, the you know years from now there will be fewer people traveling because, um, you know, because some foreign company didn't establish an office in the U.S. or or, or what have you, and just because it accelerates sort of this, you know, if if this turns into a global trade war to, to one degree or another, just just countries everywhere, you know, not just the U.S. but uh, everywhere, um, uh, putting up walls. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's that physical one that the U.S. one uh, might put up uh, between itself and Mexico, but you know, just 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 uh, you know, metaphorical ones as well. So uh, you know, can say with almost certainty that it's not helpful, but but very uncertain just how bad it'll be in terms of the impact on on airlines everywhere. Meanwhile, the U.S. president blamed the tumult on a Delta system outage. Did that outage really cause any of the airport chaos? And either way, what impact does that have on Delta? So you're asking me if the Delta systems outage Sunday night caused the chaos at airports Saturday? Uh <laughs> I guess that's a perfectly reasonable question these days, right? It was um, a far, far-reaching system outage. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, oh boy. Um. So yeah, Seth, uh, Seth, you and your space-time continuum thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So moving on to the second question about the impact on Delta, and and you know, by the way, I mean, it, it, you know, there there were people, uh, you know. It had nothing to do with most of what happened at, at U.S. airports over the weekend, but you know there are actually a lot of people Sunday night who were who were impacted by that. Delta uh, canceled a few hundred flights uh, uh, Sunday night and and Monday. It was probably 
lucky, as was United a week earlier. These were two su- two Sunday nights in a row with with rather similar situations. United a week earlier um, had uh, an A cars issue, air to ground communication uh, for aircraft over to us and and uh, had a ground stop of their domestic flights and this is uh, you know that's what Delta had to do uh, Sunday night although it was still a little less clear early in the week what what exactly had caused it they said they're essential IT systems but anyway you know uh, ground stop for domestic flights less of an impact than what had happened last summer with Delta where you know for days um, uh, things were messed up around the world that in fact was was a, a, a global issue also that happened um, in the morning and so they just sort of got uh, got the day off to an awful start the one I'm talking about uh, last summer with Delta uh, it's a lot more helpful when it happens you know in the evening and um, kind of gives the airline the chance to reset its operation, reposition everything, uh, and start Monday more or less uh, in in a clean fashion, although uh, not entirely so. But yeah, for for an airline that that prides itself on on great operations, that you know makes that a, as much a part of its brand as any airline around the planet. American back in the late eighties used to call itself the on time machine. You know that's that's Delta now. You know they they uh, you know proudly take revenue premiums. They say from you know particularly time-sensitive business travelers because of how reliable they are and uh, you know not helpful, uh, even though this one wasn't a, a, as big as the last one, not helpful when you have uh, headlines like the ones they have. Although uh, I guess their timing from that perspective kind of lucky because all the you know the, the the Trump stuff is just getting getting all the headlines these days, and so uh, uh, in terms of mainstream media coverage, you just probably didn't have nearly as many people uh, find out about what happened at Delta as you might have uh, on a, on a slower news day. All right, let's get to last week's earnings reports. American Airlines posted a 10.5% operating profit margin. Normally, we wouldn't mention the 0.5, but it was especially interesting because Delta had a 10.7% margin and United led the way with a 10.8% margin. And looking beyond the results, the story at American was very similar to the other big three. Revenues finally hit bottom and in America's case, lifted a little and labor costs lifted a lot. Yeah, uh, um, and that's pretty much the story right there. You know, we, you can, and I'm sure we will go into a little, a little more detail there. But that, that's that's what happened. Um, and, and and you know, should emphasize again here that um, those those you know very convergent operating profit margins they somewhat belie a bigger story that you know. First of all, Delta had uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in in one time uh, costs that quarter. Uh, it was pilot back pay when they signed the new deal. They they uh, it was three hundred million dollars they had to pay pilots. You know, so that that's not indicative of the situation going forward. And beyond that, just you know, Delta has a you know, still has a better balance sheet than the other two, so you know, it pays less in interest costs and all that. So if you you, know, you take it apart, I mean, you know, Delta is still. Clearly doing better than the other two, but it's 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 a competitive race. American now is, as you said, you know, but by that measure, at the, the the bottom of the three fractionally. United, we we talked about last week, just you know, it seems to be turning the corner. Um, so uh, so yeah, you know, here here it is. American um is is really fighting a war on two fronts. It's it's not just a matter of 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 catching delta which has kind of been it outwardly it's kind of seemed to be its focus for a while but also of of defending against united which uh, for its part has has closed the gap uh, with american and american managed to get unit revenues turned around earlier than delta and united how did they do it 
Well, part of that uh, was was just easier comparisons. Um, the The problems started at American earlier because of uh, because of its exposure. Uh, American, of course, the, the the biggest airline to Latin America uh, among the U.S. airlines. So things in you know, places like. Venezuela, obviously, Brazil and elsewhere had 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 gotten bad before things got bad elsewhere. It was easier for things to get better uh, because they had they'd gotten so bad so soon. Uh, even in Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, which has become a much tougher market than it used to be because of Southwest over at, at Dallas Love Field across from from the across town from DFW being able to now do whatever it wants to do domestically, at least with the 16 gates, wherever it has anyway, but, uh, uh, but, you know, fly, uh, fly nonstop to anywhere in the U S uh, you know, that, that it's already been more than a year since that, uh, you know, spirit has turned its growth focus elsewhere. You know, for a while it was growing qu- quickly at DFW. That's now more than a year in the past. So, uh, so, so basically just, just a lot of the bad news had happened sooner at American, which, uh, gave it the chance to turn the corner in terms of, uh, uh unit revenue increases also more early than, uh, than Delta United. So Dallas and Venezuela, et cetera, those were the areas of improvement. Were there any rough spots? Uh, yeah, you know, um, the South Florida, the Caribbean, uh, it, it, Fort Lauderdale, I mentioned earlier, um, uh, in a different context, is booming. You know, the airport built a new runway a couple of years ago, and there's just all this new service uh, from around the world. Yeah, you know, uh, I mentioned the Emirates, JetBlue. Spirit Southwest, JetBlue and Southwest, especially growing uh, very rapidly. Southwest is going to open a new international terminal there. Uh, that's a lot of competing capacity, both in the local market, you know, people who, who could fly from Miami or or Fort Lauderdale, and also just competing for a lot of the same connecting traffic flows to the Caribbean, to Upper uh, South America. You know, also in in that in that neighborhood, Cuba is rather clearly uh, showing itself to be a long-term play. Uh you know airlines fell all over themselves to uh to to try to get those allocations of of, of right routes to Cuba. Uh and that might all work out well for them in the long term, but uh, but for now it's rather clearly rough. And uh Asia also is is uh is tough. American actually fortunate in that case to not be all that exposed to Asia, but it's very exposed to Europe, very exposed to the UK in particular. And indeed, uh, American mentioned that that's becoming uh a, a problematic region for it. And uh what's American's outlook for 2017? Well, uh, you know, it has a lot to be excited about. It it's still remember uh, in the final stages of putting itself together as one airline, American and U.S. Airways. So, uh, so there's that. You know, there's still things that you know Delta finished years ago. United has, has finished. Um, you know, American still there, there's there's more to be gained by just sort of shifting assets around, getting all the right planes and people and the right hubs and and those sorts of things. So you know, so 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 that's good. It's uh, look, fuel costs are up. American is is completely unhedged. Uh, that has mostly been a, a good thing for American at, at the very least. East, even if that doesn't become a, a bad thing, and, and you know, generally speaking, it would only become a bad thing if fuel costs were to spike. We could say at least, uh, you know, 
it doesn't have the same advantage that it that it did when fuel costs were falling. Uh, also, other airlines have, have are are just more lightly hedged uh, than we than they once were. I mean, Scott Kirby's over at United now. You know, we we know what direction they're going in terms of uh, in terms of hedge philosophies. So you know, all of that is is tough. Uh, and the the first quarter, by the way, they've already said uh, they're they're looking at a three to five percent pre tax margin, a little bit different operating margin. Doesn't include interest costs and and and, and so forth, but a three to five percent pre-tax margin for first quarter. Uh, a year ago, that was thirteen percent. So you know, so the year does start off more in a more difficult way than uh, than last year did. But we've been saying that that you know, sort of 2015, 2016 probably will have been the high water mark for these airlines. They're still going to be fine. You know, it, it. I mean, in the first quarter, for perspective, Jason, you know, for most of history, uh, airlines would have been thrilled just to break even. I mean, in the old days, you know, you, you tried to run up the score in the summer and just hope not to give it all back in the winter. It was almost, you know, expected that you were going to lose money. So they're making money in the worst quarter of the year. Yeah, they're fine. But yeah, a little bit of a, of a tougher uh, road here. Uh, than what they've had over the past couple of years. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, the OAG Punctuality League 2016. Learn more at oag.com slash punctuality league 2016. Now let's move on from those pauper-like legacy carriers to the real winners in the fourth quarter. We'll start with Southwest, who posted a 15% operating margin in Q4. That was down from 20% the year before, but all in all, 2016 was a great year, 19% operating margin, a net profit of $2.4 billion. That all pretty much matched 2015. Seth, what did Southwest have to complain about in 2016? Yeah, it's, uh, it's all excellent. Um, it, it, look, they have the right exposure. Uh, still a nearly all domestic airline at a time when, uh, you know, for all the competitive issues in the U.S., you'd, you'd still rather be exposed to uh, domestic US flying than to you know most of most of the rest of what's happening in the world. Uh at Southwest still uh it's very competitive cost, particularly on ultra short haul routes. And it's been getting back into more of those. Some of the ones that it kind of felt compelled to abandon after nine eleven and after, you know, when fuel costs had spiked and sort of the world had changed and and made uh, uh very short haul flying more problematic. That's that's all uh, working. Uh, again now uh you know southwest mentioned denver and oakland as two markets that are uh that are doing very well for it uh but yeah look it, it faces some some i mentioned it competitive cost structure on on short haul but it signed an expensive new uh, uh labor contract with, with its pilots uh it has actually been a, a, a rather heavily hedged airline relatively which caused it to pay more for fuel uh, in the fourth quarter than uh, than pretty much any uh, any other airline, and so uh, it's doing fine, obviously, well enough to uh, look to still. I mean, there's no thought of charging for bags. That's that's pretty clear, uh, or to making some of the other changes that you know people have long wondered if if it's uh, if it's going to make. It has the Amadeus Altea reservation system coming. That is going to give it the ability to do to do a lot that it can't now. You know, so when you look at the things that Southwest doesn't do, I mean, some of it is philosophical. The bag fees, I, you know, I think it's rather clearly they they don't believe in those. Um, but there are other things that are just that are just tough for uh, technological issues. This is a company that for a long time has been somewhat constrained by its technology, and that system, uh, you know, once it executes hopefully a smooth cutover and and uh, familiarizes itself with everything should enable it to uh to to do a lot else so um so yeah an airline that's um that's that's doing quite well 
We continue to move up the ladder of success. Beating Southwest in the Q4 was JetBlue, who posted an 18% margin in the fourth quarter, obviously a little better than Southwest's 15%. And on the year, JetBlue posted a handsome 20% margin and a net profit of $759 million. Fantastic numbers. Uh, we said in Airline Weekly there are two primary things driving this. Seth, what are they? Uh, well, one is is the the, the transcontinental market. Uh, you know that that's an area where JetBlue for a long time sort of served it because it felt it had to, uh, but clearly was not an area of strength. And uh, those markets between you know New York and Boston, uh, Los Angeles and San Francisco, and and others or se- secondary ones too. Uh, it, it's it's all it's all going well. We've talked in the past that you know the mint product. You know we said eh, it might be tough, but you know things are going so well in that market overall that um that its timing was was just probably pretty good. You know it, uh, to to come out with that. I mean mint is probably never going to be the you know what drives the profits at JetBlue uh, overall but uh but it's also probably not holding the airline back um you know that that's all uh gone very well and you know hey um you know maybe mint is what helped push Virgin America basically out of the market as as an independent airline and even though JetBlue itself uh didn't end up getting to buy Virgin you know lost out to Alaska it caused Alaska to pay a lot of money for Virgin and now Alaska of course has to go through the process of of, of uh, integrating Virgin and JetBlue has one less independent competitor uh on, on in the transcontinental market so um you know so so that's all worked out rather well for JetBlue. So you asked me the two, you know, one being transcontinental and two, I mentioned, you know, Boston to LA and San Francisco, but Boston itself clearly doing very well. Um, you know, JetBlue, the, 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 that was a real strategic win for JetBlue going in there and, and establishing itself as sort of the, you know, the business travelers airline in, in Boston. You know, it's running a shuttle now to, uh, to LaGuardia flights coming to Atlanta soon. Just, just going, Clearly, very well. You know, Boston has a has a, a good local economy. The JetBlue in a in a good position there. One question is: is it is it going to fly to Europe? You know, is it going to uh, um, take those long range A three twenty one Neos? You know, that's something it's going to uh, it's going to have to decide. We'll see. Um, but in the meantime, uh, yeah, th- those two areas are are still are are now doing very very well. In addition to uh, the thing that's always gone well for JetBlue, which is the the northeast to Florida flying, you know, there's you know, JFK to Fort Lauderdale, all that is is still going as well as it ever has. Looking to 2017, where is JetBlue likely to face pressure? Well, uh, Newark, you know, which is a place where JetBlue, uh, it, it's not one of its busiest markets, but it's there. Um, it, all kinds of new uh, competition there. Uh, I mean, JetBlue itself has expanded there, but you've got, uh, you know, Southwest has grown there. Allegiant has, is there. So it's it's no longer the place where you just kind of skim a little bit off of, of, of United's, uh, you know, you know Passengers kind of spill over from United onto JetBlue without a lot of other competitions. Now it's now a much more competitive market uh, than it once was. Um, also seems to have issues in in uh, Mexico City. You know it's there, but it has poorly timed slots. It's it, it's trying to rectify that now through the um, through the concessions that Delta and Aeromexico have to make once to get those uh, those better timed uh, better timed slots. Also, just as, as as a growth airline, you know, all I mentioned earlier, you know, all the all that growth from Fort Lauderdale. When you're adding a lot of new routes, um, new routes. I mean, sometimes you hit a home run, but more often than not, uh, they they do take time to mature. And so when you're 
when you're growing rapidly and you have a lot of new routes, more often than not, uh, it also means you have a lot of routes that are, you know, that, that, that aren't quite where you'd yet like them to be. There's one more airline that uh, has reported that we haven't talked about and that U.S. airline did better than Southwest and JetBlue in the fourth quarter. Talking about Hawaiian Airlines, they do seem to be surfing some kind of wave, don't they? Fourth quarter operating profit margin, 19%. Seth, let's close this thing on a happy note. It always takes some combination of of luck and some combination of good execution to be doing really well, right? And um, uh, and and for them, it's it, it really is both. Uh, you know, their exposure is good. Hawaii several years ago was was a was a uh, you know kind of a brutal competitive battleground. You had Allegiant uh, going in there, didn't really work for them. And then all kinds of other airlines expanding very rapidly. Now it's sort of more of a benign competitive environment certainly a lot of other airlines there but not not that kind of rapid growth and uh just good traffic from both sides you know they do a lot of business from west coast u.s but also from japan and down to you know australasia and, and uh it, it's just all going well in terms of that exposure good healthy inbound demand um they paid uh very little for jet fuel uh so so that was that was helpful you know going forward i mean their their fleet is is going to be getting really interesting here um you know a321 neo is coming and that just seems to be really the right airplane uh to serve a lot of our west coast markets just you know real fuel efficient um you know not too many seats to fill um their their new business class product uh is 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 just now coming into the marketplace uh you know that too is something that that uh that they can be optimistic about but you know basically just a lot more uh, going right than going wrong they're always exposed to look if if the japanese yen crashes and you know those sorts of things that's you know that, that impacts hawaiian but right now that uh sort of combination of good exposure and good execution uh has them uh, has them at the top of the industry. And that's all the time we have this week. If you get a chance, check out our cover story this week on what Turkish Airlines is trying to do in the face of the many challenges it's facing. Back next week with another episode. Until then, for Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for joining us in the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast has been sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. Learn more at oag.com slash punctuality league 2016. Did you see they had 25,000 protesting in Boston this weekend? Wow. Protesting Delta systems outage? Exactly. 